Welcome to the JDUF podcast, where inspiring speakers share their Jewish dream, observation, or vision. I'm Shoshana Boyd-Gelfand, founder of JDUF, and our guest today is Dame Stephanie Shirley, a successful businesswoman and philanthropist who arrived in Britain on a kinder transport in 1939 and was fostered by a Christian couple in the Midlands who brought her up as they would their own. Dame Stephanie's memoir, titled Let It Go, puns on the word IT as meaning both let it go and let IT go, as her early business success was in the IT industry. Her talk shares her early experiences of sexism in the workplace, being the mother of an autistic son, and becoming a philanthropist so generous that she no longer has a spot on the annual rich list. And through all of this, she comes across as someone who sees her cup as always half full, as is clear from the title of her J-Dub talk, Silver Linings. All that I am stems from when I got onto a train in Vienna, one of the kinder transports which saved nearly 10,000 Jewish children from Nazi Europe. At five years old, clutching the hand of my nine-year-old sister, I had only the vaguest idea of where I was being sent to. What is England? And why was I going there? I am only alive because so long ago, generous strangers saved me. It was a two and a half day journey with a night crossing from Holland to England. Each train had 1,000 children aged 5 to 16 with just two adults. There were also some girls aged 17 plus caring for babies. Of course, I didn't know at the time, but those volunteers traveled under a special concession dependent on their return to what they must have known was almost certain death. I like always to record the sheer heroism of those young people. I was doubly lucky to be reunited with my birth parents after the war. Sadly, I never bonded with them again. But I've done more in the seven decades since that miserable day when my mother put me on the train than I would ever have believed possible. I love England, my adopted country, with a passion only someone who has lost their human rights can feel. I decided to make my life one that was worth saving, and then I just got on with it. So where did my success come from? To circumvent the gender issues of the time, this was in the early 1950s, I set up my own software house a technical company, one of the first of the UK's such startups. It was a company of women, a company for women, an early social business. People laughed at the very idea. Software at that time was given away free with the hardware. And they laughed even louder at my crusade for women. Although women were then coming out of the universities with decent degrees, there was a glass ceiling to our progress. But I wanted opportunities for women. 
I recruited professionally qualified women who'd left the computer industry on marriage or when their first child was expected and structured them into a homeworking organization. And we pioneered the concept of women returners going back into the workforce after a career break. We pioneered a whole lot of new work methods, all kinds of flexible working, job shares, then profit sharing, and later co-ownership, when I got a quarter of the company into the hands of the staff at no cost to anyone but me. So I was a pathfinder in the professionalism of women, especially in the high-tech industries. And for years, I was the first woman this, the only woman that. My generation of women fought the battles for the right to work and for equal pay. No one expected much from women in work because all the expectations then were about home and family responsibilities. I couldn't accept that. And so I challenged the conventions of the day even to the extent of changing my name from Stephanie to Steve in my business development letters, so that to get through the door before anyone realized that he was a she. It couldn't have started smaller. On the dining room table and financed by my own labor and a mortgage on the marital home, second mortgage. My interests were scientific, the market work was commercial. Things such as payroll, which I found, <sighs> oh, so boring. So I went for operational research work, which was both intellectually satisfying and commercially valued. I was doing scheduling of freight trains, timetabling buses, siting oil depots. Gradually the work came in. We disguised the domestic and part-time nature of the workforce by offering fixed prices. Who would have guessed that the programming of the black box flight recorder for the supersonic Concorde was done by a bunch of women working in their own homes? All that we used was the simple telephone and a trust the staff approach. An early project for an American consultancy was to develop software standards, management control protocols. Software was, and indeed still is, maddeningly hard to pin down an activity. So that was enormously valuable. And we used the standards ourselves and were actually paid to update them some years later. Later still, we feared that the developments in software would invalidate our business model. But the giant IBM was the first to unbundle software from the hardware, and that gave a great boost to the business. In 1975, 13 years from startup, equal opportunities legislation came in in Britain which meant it was illegal to have our pro-female policies. And as an example of unintended consequences, we had to let the men in, if they were good enough, of course. 
When I started my company, the men said, how interesting. But of course, it only works because it's small. And as the company grew, the same people commented, yes, it's sizable now, but of no strategic interest. Later still, when it was a gazillion pound business and I'd made 70 of my staff into multi-millionaires, they commented, well done, Steve. <laughs> but of course, it's nothing new. You can always tell ambitious women by the shape of our heads. They're flat on top from being patted patronizingly. <laughs> Sometimes with smaller feet so as to stand closer to the kitchen sink. <laughs> now, my experiences may seem to you like ancient history, yet in some cultures today, I find myself again acting as a role model for women. The British ambassador to a Middle Eastern country told me on my last visit there that he would get a call from immigration whenever an unaccompanied female Brit aged less than 30 female Brit, aged less than 30, arrived at the border. Your Excellency, sir, we have another prostitute seeking entry. Women still have a long way to go. Let me share with you one of the secrets of success. Choose your partner very carefully. The other day when I said, my husband's an angel, a woman complained, you're lucky, she said, mine's still alive. <laughs> it, if success were easy, we'd all be millionaires. In my case, it came in the middle of family pressures. Our late son, Giles, was an only child a beautiful, contented baby. And then at two and a half, like a changeling in a fairy story, he lost the little speech that he had and turned into a wild, unmanageable toddler. Giles was severely autistic. He never spoke again. Classically, Giles was the first resident in the first home of the first charity that I founded to pioneer services for autism. And that led to a number of not-for-profit projects. Giving is all that I do now. My husband need never worry where to be marooned on a desert island because several charities would quickly come and find me. <laughs> We live our lives forward, but my memoir, Let It Go, looks back to that unaccompanied Jewish child refugee. Those years taught me that tomorrow is never going to be like today, certainly not like yesterday, which made me able to cope with change, eventually to welcome change. I like doing new things and making new things happen. Those years taught me that even in the blackest moments of despair, there is hope if one can find the courage to pursue it. 
Sometimes the worst is less overwhelmingly awful than we fear. Sometimes the right attitude can create good, even from life's most terrible situations. We waste too much time being afraid when what we should really fear is wasting time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this JDOV podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. To watch over 100 other talks on video or to download other podcasts, please visit our website at jdov.org.